to the Back in Business podcast. I'm business journalist, broadcaster, podcaster, and all-round bottle washer, Mickey Clark. <laughs> and I'm small business journalist, Liz Barclay, and we'll be taking a look back at the challenges of 2020 today. We've got the vaccine, but we've also got millions of small businesses still fighting to survive. As one person put it, we want to still be standing come the spring. Um, and we'll be talking to some of the people we've talked to since we launched Back in Business in May. Um, but Mickey, despite all the tough times, the Office for National Statistics, the Office for National Statistics, put my teeth in. Are your teeth in, yeah. <laughs> figures, they, their figures out yesterday showed that there were 15,766 company incorporations in the week ending Friday the 11th of December. Now that's higher than the same week last year by almost 5,000. We're an optimistic lot, are we not? Well, we are. And, and that, that's one thing that's always struck me throughout this this pandemic and, and the people we've interviewed, how optimistic they are. Very few of them actually come on and say, oh, woe is me. You know, I've, I'm owed money up to the eyeballs. I'm, I'm going to be finished come Christmas. Um, they all seem to say, well, you know, we've got Brexit. We've got COVID. We think we can cope. And, you know, the expectations are good. What I would like to have learned from that, of course, the, the ONS that we're not going to hear, of course, is how many businesses have gone bust. Um, because at the moment, the furlough scheme, the grants, uh, the, the, the rate holidays, they're all going to be keeping businesses afloat, which perhaps, dare I say, it shouldn't be. So we're, we're getting one side of the story. One thing we're certainly not getting is clarity. And that is the important thing that we, we need. And I think all businesses need. Um, and there's also the case, of course, that when small businesses start up, uh, only about a third of them survive beyond their first birthday. So, of course, we're not going to see that many businesses that have started up now still in business next year. But at the same time, it seems to me that people are leaving freelancing and setting up, leaving their jobs with uh, perhaps some redundancy money and setting up sometimes because they don't feel there's any other Option. Well, you've got no choice. You know, you, it depends what areas. If you live in an area where you have one commanding business, which is the employer for that local economy and therefore provides the impetus and something goes wrong, what else do you do? You're going to have to work for yourself to, to bring some money in. So we know there are going to be casualties. There always have. But it's also worth remembering that small businesses, entrepreneurs, freelancers, call them what you will, they provide the bulk of employment in this country. It's not, it's not the big companies, the, the AstraZeneca's and, and the, the, the Glaxo's. It's, it's the small employer which is, has provided the driving force. And, of course, today's small entrepreneur could be tomorrow's Vodafone. That's the way investors look at it. Um, but, as you say, there will be casualties on the way. 60%, something like that, um, em yeah. employed in the small business sector. Um, we need to get the government, though, to understand this. Well, that's an argument, you know, we, we've often made and, and other people have made as well, and it seems to fall on deaf ears, is that unfortunately the, the, the politicians we have in power these days don't always have a business. Well, they don't have a business background. Let's, let's not mess about around, around the tree. Um, they don't understand business, and that's part of the problem, I think. Um, well, we'll obviously follow this throughout 2021 as long as we survive, of course. We're <laughs> but, still waking up every morning. <laughs> well, there is that. 
I did mean business-wise, but yes, you have got a point. <laughs> so for the very last time this year, the stars of 2020, Declan Curry, our business editor, and Simon McVicker, our director of public affairs, policy and communications are here. Uh, Simon, Brexit, mm. the political front, all the MPs have gone home for the recess. Um, are they going to be back next week to do a bit of signing? Well, Liz, I'm not going to make any more predictions about Brexit after the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, who knows? Uh, you know, yesterday was looking really ominous. Lots of doom and gloom from the prime minister. But, you know, it's still hard to think that there won't be a deal. Um, and if there is a deal, they're going to have to come back and vote on that before the 31st of December. But really, the uh, more interesting than that is some stuff that the Chancellor said yesterday, which I think gives us a signal of where the government's thinking is on this pandemic. Uh, he's extended the furlough scheme to the end of April now, and he's also extended the coronavirus emergency loan scheme to the end of March, it was due to finish in January. And that's already cost the country 68 billion pounds. Now, why has he done this? Uh, I reckon the government don't think this thing is going to be finished by Easter. Uh, I think they uh, are looking at the data that's come in on vaccinations and the speed the NHS can vaccinate older and maybe key workers. And um, Easter is just far too ambitious to get all of this done in time. They're going to miss those targets. And so therefore, we're not going to be in a position where we can get back to normal as soon as maybe the government thought they could. So uh, I have always said that it's going to be the second half of this year before we begin to get normal. And I think these figures just uh, show that. By the way, he also went up next year, I think you meant to next say. year, 21, 21. Right. Uh, the other thing he announced yesterday was the budget, the 3rd of March, where he will lay out his economic recovery plan. So that's something to fear, maybe, for a lot of people. And uh, I don't think uh, businesses will, will do that well out of that because he's got to get money and tax from somewhere. But what what I, I don't enjoy from, from Rishi Sunak is, you know, it's welcome that the, the furlough scheme goes to the end of April, another four weeks of clarity, but he's like a man with a stutter. You know, France and Germany haven't mucked about like this. They've whacked in sensible dates and said, we'll keep the furlough scheme going as long as it's needed. 2021, I think, in the case of France, 2022 in the case of Germany. All right, their terms aren't so generous, but it provides businesses with clarity and a safety net. Our businesses lurch from one disaster to another. Well, I mean, actually, some of the, uh, the, the, the furlough-type schemes in Germany are quite generous, but I... It's just not part of the custom of this country. I mean, Germany has had this sort of furlough scheme in place since the 1920s, uh, whereas we have just done it for the first time this time around. But, you know, you're right, Nicky. Uh, you know, unless the government comes to the, the, the aid of small businesses in one way or another, uh, it's going to be a pretty bad year for them next year. Declan, what do you make of it all? I mean, obviously, as Simon says, uh, you know, we could be signing or not signing uh, a Brexit deal at some point over the holiday. Um, 
and the budget is coming up on the 3rd of March. Um, what are your thoughts? And as Simon said, furlough is being continued uh, for an extra month, and that's a, a signal of uh, the uh, perhaps the government uh, thinks that uh, it might take a little longer than they first thought to start distributing the vaccine and to have the uh, economic uh, bounce back from that. And um, I, I was sort of my I was caught this week by some new information on the amount of debt that businesses have. And this is something we've talked about on this podcast uh, before. And we had the uh, business deadline with their research on this. And that told us the story of uh, how many uh, entrepreneurs and small business owners are keeping their business going just by delaying paying their own household bills. They're borrowing on their credit card to keep their business going. Well, the uh, Bank of England had its uh, regular look at uh, financial stability and it had a couple of alarming sort of threads to it. One is that uh, small businesses are now in hock to the banks like they've never been before. Lending to small to medium-sized enterprises by the banks uh, was 40 times higher uh, this year than it was in the average over the last half decade. And there could be a big cash crunch coming for smaller businesses, well, for all businesses, but particular smaller businesses next year. The Bank of England estimates that companies are going to uh, need 180 billion more than they have in their reserves. Now, the big companies will have money put aside that they might have been planning to use for share buybacks and such things. But Smaller companies don't have that level of resources or that level of funding. Many small businesses are just getting by on the bounce back loans. Uh, and there are worries, and part of some analysts, is that if there is a cash flow crunch next year, that then the banks who have handed out Siebel's and the bounce back loans may look at businesses that would otherwise be perfectly viable and thriving in normal times and decide that the best thing for the bank to do is to try and grab hold of what they can and collapse those businesses and grab the assets as security rather than continuing loans. And if you think that that's an example of paranoia, well, just remember that that's exactly what some of the banks did after the credit crunch. I hope that prediction is entirely wrong. <laughs> oh, so do I. I, you know, I hope it's wrong as well. And I hope that we get the vaccine out and that people uh, take the vaccine, that they're not silly enough to refuse to take it. And that starts building confidence and then growth starts to grow faster than the predictions for next year. Because we can see this light at the end of the tunnel. It's just been a really long, dark tunnel to get us to this point. Thanks for that update, boys. There's Declan and Simon there. Now, one forecast we can get right is the fact that Christmas is coming. Uh, at least, I think it is for most of us. <laughs> and this is our last I'm sorry, podcast. I haven't bought you a present yet. <laughs> oh, that might go change. <laughs> this is our last <laughs> podcast before the new year. We'll be back on the 18th of January. So let's let's do a bit of a look back. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, uh, I was about to say, oh, le oh no, let's not. But then uh, that's panto season, isn't it? I'm getting my, I'm yeah, getting my week's That's closed down. Forget about that. <laughs> Well, we've talked to dozens of small business people since we launched these podcasts in May, and we've got five of them with us, and we want to know three things from them. What's been the biggest challenge of a very challenging 2020, where they want their businesses to be by this time 2021, and what help and support they need to get there? Yeah, we have retail, hospitality, technology, 
events and creativity around the Zoom table. Let's start with you, Sam Harrison, as owner of the Riverside Restaurant in Hammersmith, West London. This year has been a nightmare for anyone in hospitality. Um, the rooms don't look good. In fact, Sam, I'll tell you, I took the dogs out for a walk this morning. I saw two people, two blokes. One was the local vicar and the other one was a publican. And I realised after a quick chat, uh, socially distanced, of course, that the thing they had both had in common is neither of them have got any customers. <laughs> I mean, it, it is extraordinary, is it? I mean, if you'd have thought about this two years ago, you'd have thought, no, you couldn't make that up. But that's how it is these days, isn't it? Yeah, you're... Uh, well, I think the, the thing I find most... Is, I mean, yesterday we were packed, uh, all socially distanced, all safe, uh, all with the investment that we put into COVID procedures. Uh, and today we don't have anybody and nobody can even tell us when we're going to be allowed to reopen. Uh, you know, how long does tier three last for? You know, how do we plan? That's the, that's the one thing that a lot of people have been very confused about is that you can go shopping yeah. and not for essential things, for all sorts of things, but you can't go to a restaurant, you can't go to a pub where the owner has spent vast amounts of money putting in precautions to make sure that you can't catch COVID-19 and yet they won't let people in and, and they're not catching it really from, from restaurants and pubs as such. A lot of it is from supermarkets. What do you do, shut them down? I, I, listen, I think it's crazy. I, I, you know, I can only speak for myself, but we have invested thousands of pounds. Uh, I'm not exaggerating. On average, we get probably close to 10 emails a day from customers or Google reviews or TripAdvisor saying, thank you for making us feel safe. Thank you for what you've done. Uh, yeah, and, and when you do compare that to a packed Regent Street, a packed tube getting to Regent Street or a packed shop, it, there's no logic there at all. So what has your biggest challenge then been, would you say? Uh, if you had to choose one, of course. Uh, Listen, I think all business comes down to cash flow um, and um, that's been the hardest. You know, have we got enough cash to keep going? Um, and, and the stop start nature that, you know, because it's not only the loss of trade, it's the cost of this stop start. You know, every time you stop, uh, as we, you know, there's food wastage, general wastage, stock, uh, and, then, and, then, and then you need the cash again to open up again. It's a cost you haven't got control of. That's the important thing, isn't it? Exactly. It's completely outside of our control. As I said, you know, the loss of trade is one thing, but the loss of stock and then having to restock, you know, that, that's just painfully unnecessary. Well, retail has been pretty hard hit as well. And we have Amit here, Amit here, who is, uh, he has a local store. And, and Nisa, is it Nisa? Amit, yeah, is that how you pronounce it? Uh, in Fenstanton in Cambridgeshire. Um, and you're one of those people who were extremely, you know, we've been extremely grateful to you for staying open because frankly, we needed our local shops during the, all the lockdowns and the various restrictions. But what's been your biggest challenge? I think for us, one of the biggest challenges was the inconsistent messaging we had from government. It, was, it felt like every two or every two months, every five to six weeks, it was just a, a different message was coming through. Um, you know, first it was uh, social distancing. Now, obviously, we have the masks in play. And there's a real lack of support from the legislative side 
and they've really relied on us to kind of drive drive the agenda. And I don't think that's a position retail staff who are historically not not in a great place when it comes to abuse from customers should be dealing with. Uh, you know, our team have had physical abuse, verbal abuse, uh, increasing theft, and th that's probably been one of the hardest challenges we've. I, I have to say that's not what I expected to hear, to be honest. That you know we're grateful for you for staying open, and yet you're facing threats. Your employees are facing threats. That's horrendous. I have to be honest. The, the police have been good with with dealing with some issues, but I, I do think there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of mental health um, pullback, especially uh, once we get the vaccine rolled out. I, I know there's a few retailers up north. They've really struggled with their supervisors and their managers have handed their uh, resignations in because they, were, they couldn't face another potential lockdown again. So my heart goes out to a lot, a lot of the uh, retail colleagues. Is that the same for all food retailers around the country? Are they all well, going through the same experience? I, I think it's a real big blend, you, you know, because of the COVID restrictions up north, it's been a lot stricter. Uh, we're in Cambridgeshire down south. So it's, it's been, it hasn't been as bad, but I know there are quite a few guys up in Liverpool, Manchester areas, and, you know, they're struggling. You know, there's a real mental, uh, mental health element at play in those areas. There's been some good news for business in some sectors this year. Christine Kerr, or is it Carl? I'll, I'll, I'll get that right one day. Christian, um, Christian Kerr. Kerr. Yes, he's with us today. And I suppose most easily you could describe your company as an education business fueled by technology. So you've been sitting in a sweet spot this year. Um, but that has brought challenges, obviously, because you, you now have a situation where schools and the like are being told to stay open but want to close there's certainly no harmony in education at the moment is there i mean yeah i, I think going back to sam's point uh, i definitely agree with i think cash flow has been the biggest problem for us as an alternative you know not a regulated school but a vocational school and um, we're kind of we're the model's a little bit reversed you know when, when students enroll with us we go into debt um, whereas when students enroll with you know traditional education they go into debt and we take the bet that they're going to get hired post-graduation to pay us back and i think you know, more and more people are reluctant even to pay a deposit to commit to um, to joining the school. And that's maybe been the biggest problem for us this year is just managing cash flow uh, and bringing in more people. I suppose that, that could be an argument for all businesses, managing the cash flow. I mean, we just talked to, to, to Sam about that. And, you know, if you're continually opening, closing, opening and closing, you, you entail costs, costs that you can't manage. If, if you can run a business if you can manage the costs. If you can't manage the costs, that's the quickest way to go bust. Certainly. Uh, I think we've been fortunate in, in a sense that a lot of students are, are, are maybe going against traditional education, um, you know, unsatisfied with university, turning to us as a, an alternative provider. And I would say the stark reality is, and it's becoming more uh, kind of more obvious now with COVID here, is that, you know, not enough people are leaving higher education with the right skills. And we've got some people from, you know, the, the, the number one uh, educational institutions in the UK coming to us saying, you know, my great degree at this university, I thought I was, um, you know, in line to, to get a great job afterwards, but it turns out that I'm not, that I'm unemployable. So they're coming to us as kind of a, 
a, a last chance to, to look at it. Can they reskill and, and then launch their career afterward? So um, I think, yeah, it's certainly a concern. Um, is there a big role for you, though, going uh, into next year and far beyond that, simply because the jobs that are going are not going to be replaced by the same jobs? So yeah. if we don't reskill people, we're not going to have people skilled up for the jobs that do come along to replace jobs. Yeah, I certainly think so. I think there's a few elements there. One of the, the problems being that we've tend to find this year, a lot of our students are coming from STEM backgrounds. So they're already really prepared to, to move into automation, machine learning, AI, um, and they need that prerequisite knowledge. We've expanded that out to take people like a chef and, and, and people from a, a variety of backgrounds, but it's much more difficult for someone like that to actually be employable afterward. I think it's going to take more work in terms of traditional education, preparing people with the foundational mathematics. And um, to give you an example, we're, we're currently teaching in India and, and the, the difference in students kind of prerequisite knowledge is very, very interesting in comparison to the UK. And um, they're much more technical when it comes to the, the STEM background. We keep hearing about people retraining and finding new industries. Um, is, there, is there a will with the government to put this in place? If so, where is it? And all I've seen so far is one ad which pictured a ballet dancer who was moving into AI. I mean, it was only the most attractive advert that you could see. And it did seem to sum up government political approach to business yeah. in general. I think, you know, the reality of it is, I think it'll be quite difficult to reskill maybe anyone coming from, from a non-STEM background into a machine learning role. Machine learning is still in its infancy. And a lot of companies don't want to take the risk to deploy this kind of technology without someone who really comprehensively understands it. So that's someone coming from a PhD background, a master's in physics um, and, and the like. So I, I, I don't know if, if it's the right approach. Um, and I've seen, I know that the Comprehensive Spend and Review released recently about you know, more employment-led bootcamp training models to get to give funding into. But I think a lot of work needs to be looked at in terms of you know, the, the state of AI skills in the UK and who is the right, the right, um, the right students to, to approach there. I, I don't necessarily think that someone with no experience in, in, in a STEM subject is the right student to, to go into, whether they might not enjoy the career and, and lead to, to pull, dropping out of you know, our course. Um, so we've tend to find and focus this year on actually how, how can we reskill people who are already quite you know, experienced in terms of having a PhD, but who are still unemployable. And um, we've got a lot of doctorate students from universities all across London who can't find jobs um, coming from a research and ac academic background. And um, they're just completely uh, un unemployable at the moment. There seems to me to be a vast job of work there. Um, but let me bring in uh, Amy Solon. Um, Amy, uh, you probably have been extremely busy this year uh, and not always I suppose for all the, the right reasons but you're offering therapy and support to deal with the stresses of being in business so you've had a busy year elements um, hypnotherapy is near Edinburgh um, that's brought its own challenges and what are they? Yeah it certainly has um yeah where to go with that because I, I w wanted to pick up on something Amit said as well about mental health um but yeah challenges for me I suppose as a business owner and as I've said before on this podcast I'm sure a self-confessed Luddite 
I'm not a technology person. I love people. I love interacting with people. So that was an enormous challenge for me back in March. It was very, very much a case for me of sink or swim. Um, I can just about turn on my, or I certainly could back in March, just about turn on my computer and get up my Word document and launch a web page. But beyond that, that was about the extent of my skills. I hadn't heard of Zoom. So since March, um, aside from uh, two instances where it um, where it was necessary to do face to face work, everything has been done online. So it's been a challenge, but it's been a huge opportunity for me as well in terms of my business. And at this moment in time, uh, I don't intend to going back to go back to face to face work for a variety of different reasons. Um, partly the efficacy of hypnotherapy is as good in the majority of cases, if not better than it is um, face to face, unbelievably to myself, first and foremost. But yeah, that, that's been the, the biggest challenge for me. But I think just something I wanted to highlight from what Amit said as well, or in relation to mental health, it's something that, as you know, Liz, it's, it's, uh, it's one of my, the main topics I like to talk about. And um, I would hope to be a voice and an advocate for mental health. And um, one of the big things for me that I've noticed that, I haven't noticed so much before uh, in relation to women specifically, because that seems to be not by design, but it seems to be my main client group. Um, but men also, that there's a, a huge increase in work-related stress. I don't think that's a new thing, but I feel that it's maybe becoming easier to talk about. It's becoming more socially acceptable to talk about. The stigma is most definitely still there. I'm, I'm not saying it's not, but I feel what the pandemic has given us a platform to do is to speak about the elephant in the room, really. One of the biggest things that I am working with at the moment is around um, just juggling all those plates between whether you've got children or not. But living in this crazy world with all of these demands on our time and yeah, one of the big questions I would like to ask is what support is there out there for people because I'm hearing it anecdotally again and again and again and again. They go into primary care to look for support, but they're being not not absolutely, but often one client told me yesterday that um, she was laughed out of her appointment, but you look fine. You, you seem to be fine. And she said, well, I'm not, I'm not coping. I'm not, I've got a, my business is doing well. My family are fine, but I'm not coping with this. Um, and as you know, we launched our well-being in business podcast for precisely mm -hmm. this reason, in order to get people to understand that it was okay to talk. It is okay to talk about all of that. But Anthony Jordan, um, you're running um, an events company. Now, We've kept you to last because my feeling you, is... You can I'm... pronounce the company as well because I'm, I'm, I'm bound to bugger it up. Tamaray. 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 Tamaray, that's it, that's yeah. I was going to call it Samara. There you go. <laughs> that's Many all right. I, I don't think Anthony minds <laughs> too much. Um, but Anthony, um, what's your challenge been? Just getting customers? Yeah. Do you know, it's, it's getting customers. It's being, it's the unpredictability of everything that changes all the different components. One minute stuff are on, one minute they're off, which then leads to you 
you know, you've got clients that you're holding on to their deposits because they've booked it and they are done this end of the year, but then stuff changed. So then it's, they want to hold on. You're, you're, you, you need to become an encyclopedia, if you would, of every part of the government laws. And you're, you don't even know the answers because everyone's asking you, do you know this? Do you know that? We've had clients who've had to cancel their weddings, others who tried to take it abroad. When they've tried to take it abroad to go for destination weddings, again, they come to you because that was a service we knew. But now it means having to know international laws. So then I had one client who's looking to get married in Barbados. Sounds fantastic. But then we found out that for her to do that, she needs to go and have a, uh, a COVID test, but it can't be an NHS COVID test. She needs to pay for it. So it's all these different bits of information that you've got to collate to pass on to your clients to just keep it going. Then in terms of stuff in the UK, what you do find is your suppliers, because they've been closed and they don't know what's going on, they don't have everything you're looking for. So then you're then turning away some clients. Then you get this surge when people are trying to celebrate because they're finding out another lockdown's coming. So then it's this surge of orders that you're trying to fulfill. And then you, you do end up having these situations where it's who actually has what you want. And then some of your other suppliers like hotels and venues, they've closed down because of this. And you're just all over the place. And you know, even just before this podcast, I got an email from uh, a hotel who's saying, oh, you know, government dependent, we're all fully open on 11th of Feb. And you're like, how can you say this? Like, okay, it's true, but I don't even want to advertise that to my clients. But there are businesses doing that, aren't there, Anthony? I've experienced it as well with a cottage company who said about getting away in the new year. Where? Where am and I going to go? It's well, one of those things. The, mo the minute you do that and you take it on, you advertise that to your clients, you're just opening up a floodgate of, again, having to have all this knowledge of stuff. And then like, but what happens here? And you're like, I don't know. I've just seen the advert. Uh, yeah. Well, can I just tell you that we were hoping to have Sue Wilson with us and she's in the aviation sector. <laughs> she couldn't. She had to pull out at the last minute because there's a flight. There's a flight. <laughs> 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 okay, so where do we want to be this time next year and what do we want to get out of it? I'm going to start with Sam and Christian, uh, but, you know, pile in discussion. Um, Sam, where do you want to be? Open, breathing, preparing for a big Christmas and... Uh, <laughs> money in the till <laughs> I, I think whatever you know whatever uh, I'm definitely feeling doom and gloom today I can tell you but uh, I think we've got to be optimistic that if those of us who can survive the winter and the spring got to got to be optimistic that there is a bounce back and uh, that's I mean that's I, sp I spoke to a friend of mine a couple of restaurant friend who's really on his knees and I was just saying, you've just got to be standing come spring. That's all that matters. You've just got to still be in the game. And if you're in the game in spring, then I think there's, there is optimism. And so I would hope by this time next year, you know, we're building up cash reserves again, customer confidence is back. Um, and I, th I think we can have a, you know, in, in my sector, we can have a really strong, strong, end to 2021 that's what i'm hoping for sounds as though you're asking for clarity at christmas and clarity in the new year could that yeah. be about right yeah a bit, a bit of clarity and just you know uh clarity for myself peace of mind but also i've um i've really noticed this closure closure has really taken its toll on my staff and very emotional for them right before christmas um, because they don't know. Okay, yes, furlough is there, but it's 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 only eighty percent. It's better than nothing. We all know that. But they want to know what they're doing, and I can't give them an answer. And I hate that as a boss because 
you know, it's, that's just not good leadership, is it? Um, no, you, can have, you have done quite a lot of good leadership in that, you know, you've opened up a deli, you've moved into takeaways, you've diversified as much as you possibly could do over this year. What help do you need to keep you standing till the spring? Uh, I, I think our industry does need um, some financial help. Uh, I think there has to be some, uh, I'm not, is compensation the right word, or just some cover, cover for, the, for the loss over this Christmas period. Payoff, payback. Payback, yeah, thank you, Mickey. Um, I, th I think it's important to remember December, uh, the festive season, it's, it's not one twelfth of, of the year's takings. You know, for some restaurants, some bars, it's one six. It's one quarter without and retail things like yeah. retail. You know, it's the it's the it's the bit that keeps you going. Exactly. So we, we need help, and um, you know, I, I think my business will just about survive, and we will be standing. But uh, as I said, a lot of my restaurant friends are on their knees, mm -hmm. and also the landlords are changing their tune. They were supportive in the first lockdown, a lot of them. But now they're saying, well, hang on, we're in business. We need our money. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, that's what worries me. The landlords are going to get aggressive in the new year. And that's what's going to kill a lot of businesses. Um, I can remember saying we'd have our Christmas party in your restaurant. It's going to have to be next yeah. year. <laughs> Christian. Well, I'm in a phone box now. <laughs> Christian, where are you going to be at the end of 2021? And what help do you need to get there? I mean, I keep hearing this term over and over again that we're going to get back into the roaring 20. So I, I certainly hope uh, next year starts that, I think. I mean, for us, we're hoping to have 300 students come through our course next year um, and, and hoping and praying, you know, that a lot of students are turning to alternative tracks to success in terms of education and away from traditional education like master's degrees, um, because we can ultimately provide it at half the cost and in half the time. And, you know, with the, the, the outcome that they will be guaranteed a job when they graduate. So, I mean, we, we, we're full steam ahead, getting ready for that and already got bookings gladly for, for next year. But, you know, with the pandemic and the oncoming recession resulting in maybe millions of people being unemployed or, you know, exposing a greater digital skills gap, and we're finding more and more people reluctant to commit any sort of deposit. Um, and for a business of our kind, it's very hard, firstly, to get into this type of business and also to sustain it in terms of cash flow. So if there's anything government can do around actually, you know, giving more students the opportunity to join the courses by, by funding the deposit, which is a very small sum of a thousand pound, um, which could ultimately result in someone being employed post-graduation um, in a great job and paying back their taxes. Um, and also positioning position in the UK, which we really promise as you know, an AI and machine learning leader in terms of, of the world. But I think there's a lot of more work to be done there um, around actually less hype and less promotion, but actually with real practical skills and, and showcasing that we can do the work um, and I think the funding would be would go a long way to helping more students have access to, to quality online education. And what what about you, Amit? What what are you looking forward to, if anything at all? Nisa, Nisa, whatever way you pronounce it. Uh, I'm going to echo a bit of uh, what Sam said. Always in business, you must always be the forever optimist. No matter how bad it gets, you know. You have well, to you lot are. <laughs> you have to keep powering through. <laughs> um, I think for. A lot of the convenience sector, the big challenges we'll, we'll be facing will be trying to balance our kind of physical space with the movement to online. So traditionally, you would never see a convenience store offering a delivery service. It's just not financially viable. But 
with the way things are going on, I, I think it's going to become a permanent part of our estate. So um, that's what I'm looking forward to developing next year. Uh, how can the government support physical retail? I, I think business rates is just the elephant in the room and they have made movements towards supporting uh, retail industry in that sector, but I think it has to go a lot further. I think we need to really look at uh, how online retail and online business is taxed. And I think there's a, there's a big, that's a big sphere <laughs> to look at, but that's, that's, that's honestly what I think the government, they need to start look, really looking at uh, online, the online space and how to tax it efficiently. Um, and we will be putting all of the, what you're saying to uh, the MP, John Stevenson. So uh, we'll be asking him what he thinks of what you are saying, Amit, and what you've just said there about uh, business rates and uh, online and the taxation side of it. Um, Amy, what are your thoughts? Where would you like to be? I think you just need, I think you need some sleep. <laughs> Or some new ears. You've been so busy. Amy's got her elf outfit on, and I think it's brilliant. <laughs> don't let, don't let uh, Mickey tease your ears. <laughs> but I think you're going to need some sleep. Uh, to be honest, because you know, once Christmas is over, you're going to be exhausted. As an yeah, elf. And sleep would definitely be good. This time next year, though, I must say, I am looking forward to seeing my family and cuddling them all and having a lovely Christmas together, which we won't sadly have this year. But in terms of business, yeah, I mean, I suppose I'm in a different situation to other people in that my business can adapt with a bit of effort to online quite easily. So previously, where my market was local. Um, I will be looking to develop further throughout the UK and Ireland as I've been doing, but further afield as well, because there are no, there are no logistical boundaries anymore, which is great for me. Um, in terms of support, I suppose one thing that definitely comes to mind, and I'm sure again, I've said this before, is around what I've noticed in my locality where I can really see local businesses collaborating more, supporting each other more. And there was the Great Shop Local Initiative in, 20, in August 2020, but more of that please. And how visible was that campaign? Because I'm, I'm not sure that it was as visible maybe as, as it could have been. So I would love to see more initiatives around that, but on a more global perspective as well, um, initiatives in relation to men mental health, support for small business owners around that, just because you look, because you look okay, does not mean that you are okay. No, and another Liz. And it's okay to say you don't, you're not okay. Yeah. I think that's important too. Yeah. Absolutely. Sorry, Mickey, I missed what you said. I said, just look at Liz. <laughs> Pardon? It's <laughs> a box of frogs. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. I thought you were my friend. <laughs> Liz, you're a vision, as always. Thank you, darling. Yeah, all right. Don't wind her up. <laughs> Anthony, what about you? Um, Where are you I going to be by this time next year? Well, hopefully, um, <laughs> hopefully, no, surrounded by party balloons. This is celebrating the drop of the divorce rate. <laughs> well, that's if they can. That's if they're allowed to get married. So. No one's getting married. Yeah. <laughs> um, hopefully, we'll be able to celebrate a New Year's this year, which isn't going to be happening this year. But more than anything, I think what we really need to, in order to, for survival in this events industry is just not realistic timelines, because I know things 
change because of illness, but it can't be so, it can't just change on the last minute the way it has. Um, you look at the tiered system and then we went into a lockdown out of nowhere. Then we're back and then we're told that there's an announcement, kind of like what Sam was saying, you're, you're looking at the end of the year, you know, Wednesday was going to be an announcement, Monday an announcement comes in. All of these changes just make it so unpredictable in what you're actually offering to a client and it actually makes you really scared to take the money off of a client because especially with events it's long-term planning so you're in a position of what can you actually do what can't you do and more and more your clients are getting scared with that so if we've got that out there to give people an estimated timeline at least they know well I can start planning from because at the moment people are just short of a birthday which are small balloons it's not what keeps our business going and especially this time of year as Sam was saying it's not just 112 this is Christmas and New Year are like two of your biggest celebrations that are just completely gone out the window for us now. So it's just a matter of hopefully just getting, a kickback would be nice, you know, a little financial support, but just a real timeline to show us what we can expect tells you how long you can hang in there for. And the more confusing the rules and regulations get, the more confused people get. And there's that old adage, you know, when in doubt, do now. And I mean, exactly. that's how I am now. I don't know what the rules are. I just keep out of the way. I keep away from everyone. But you can only do that for so long. That is what it's become, though. That's the sad thing is that you did have that point where, you know, the first lockdown came, people were like, oh, yeah, Christmas in December. You know, everyone had, oh, we'll have a good summer. That kind of happened. Oh, we'll have a good Christmas. That's out the window. So then it's just this part of every, we've, we just don't really take bookings at the moment because we're like, well, we'll see what we can do. If you can help out, you will. Otherwise, it's, but there's not much to it. So you're right, Mickey, it is that kind of mm. do now. <laughs> Yes. Um, I kind of wish the government hadn't said today, uh, or some member of uh, some member of parliament, I wish they hadn't said today, can Easter be the new Christmas? Because that set an expectation. <laughs> 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 and we don't know yet if we're going to get there. Anyway, look, thank you very much to Sam, to Amit, to Amy, Anthony, and Christian. And we'll see you all uh, in 2021. In the meantime, let's put some of those points to John Stevenson, MP for Carlisle and chair of the all-party parliamentary group on family business and the all-party parliamentary group on food and drink. John Stevenson, we talked to you early in the year and we know you are very concerned about small businesses. You, you've involved yourself in business over the years and, and we've obviously have as well. We've been talking to a lot of small businesses and, and two things struck us consistently throughout the lockdown and, and the subsequent circuit breakers and whatever you want to call them is that a businesses small business people are still really optimistic about prospects um, but secondly they're always worried about lack of clarity not claret clarity um, which is understandable when you think I know it's a difficult job the politicians do but you can't run a business if you don't know where you're going. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the beauty about small businesses and family businesses is their optimism. They're always looking to the future. They always have a positive outlook. They want to succeed. And I think they get frustrated by politicians, if I was entirely honest, uh, at times. And I think what businesses always want is certainty, level playing field, consistency, they don't like the stop start that we've seen over the last year, which we understand why it's happened, but that's a frustration for them. And it's that lack of certainty that I think is the frustration for them. And it makes it very difficult for them to plan and to get on with their businesses. And certainly, as you've heard, that's what our people, our five um, contributors have been saying. Give us clarity, as Mickey always says, not 
claret clarity. <laughs> but <laughs> but what's the chance do you think that we're going to get clarity anytime soon? Well, I think that's been the real challenge for the government over the last year. Uh, it's dealing with a, a health crisis, but also a recognition that it has an economic impact. And it's how you balance the two. And unfortunately, that has led to a degree of stop start, which I think many people understand, but that's not very helpful for business. But as we look ahead to the new year to 2021, um, I think there's a degree of optimism emerging. You've got the vaccine rollout that's going on now. You've got the Oxford one, which we hopefully will get um, permission in the early new year, and then that can be rolled out. So I would like to think once we head towards Easter and beyond, we will return to a much more stable environment. And therefore, that certainty starts to return. Businesses can get back to knowing exactly what's going on, uh, the fact that they can be open at all times. And then I think what the government's then got to do is plan for the future. And that is a second challenge that I think will come uh, in the new year about laying the sort of the groundwork for making sure we have a stable economic environment so that we have a positive recovery. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing. The message has been confusing. Um, you know, Rishi Sunak hasn't been positive, really. It's, it's one furlough deadline, then another, then another. Whereas we talked about France and Germany, where they, you know, they, they've laid down furlough schemes long into the future. Um, so businesses knew where they stood. One minute he says, you know, we can't, we've got to look to the economy. We, we can't keep running up debts. But in the next minute, Boris Johnson's saying, you know, we will support businesses. The two messages are blurred. They're, they're, there's not, you, you can't grab hold of that message and say, right, I can, take, I can draw strength from this for the future. Confidence, because it ain't there, is it? I push back slightly there. Um, I think government has done an awful lot to support business. The furlough scheme has been very beneficial. The yeah, loan... but what about the future of business? That's what I'm saying. We know what they've done. It's going forward. And you've got three or four months, as you've said, before things start to turn the corner. And those businesses just want that certainty from now till then, because eventually they're going to be paying double bubble on rates, double bubble on VAT. Um, you know, it, it, the, the bills are going to come through and the income's not there. Well, we've got to make sure that we do get the... I mean, the, the biggest word you said there, which I think is the most important thing, is actually confidence, because that is what businesses thrive on. That's what economies thrive on. And we've got to make sure that that business confidence is there when we do come out of the uh, pandemic. But I think it will be, interestingly enough. I actually think there's going to be... Uh, there's a lot of pent-up demand in, emerging, and I think that will come out as we come out of the pandemic. I think there'll be an appetite for doing things. There'll be an appetite for going out, going on holiday, making purchases. And that does give business an opportunity to grab, accept fully they've had a torrid 12 months. Don't dispute that in the slightest. But I do think there is optimism ahead. I do think that the economy can bounce back quite significantly. What we've got to make sure is businesses are capable of taking the advantage of that and benefiting from it. There may be a difference in what we're coming out into, if you see what I mean. The economic structure is going to be slightly different. And, you know, people are going to be doing more stuff online. Small businesses are going to have to gear themselves up technologically. The jobs that people are going to go back into and that small businesses will create won't be the same jobs in hospitality, for instance, that were lost. So how do we bridge that, that gap? Because there is going to be a big gap there and the government, as you say, is planning ahead, but how is it planning ahead? I think you make a very 
interesting observation because I accept that a large chunk of the economy will return to how it was before, but I, I also a fair amount will not. I think there'll be a new uh, economic environment and that does create opportunities and that is where businesses often comes into its into its own. It seizes the changes in sort of how people are doing things, how they're buying and selling, their social activities, their work activities. And I think that's where businesses can seize the opportunities, see places where they can invest and grow their businesses. The downside to that is I think there'll be some businesses that will struggle and we've just got to accept that. Um, but in a, a vibrant economic uh, economy, I think there's opportunities that the businesses that are looking to change and to uh, be flexible and adaptable, they will succeed, they will create new jobs, uh, new employment opportunities, um, and that's what we want to see. We want to see a dynamic economy. We can't resist our stop change. I think one of the most challenging areas is undoubtedly the high street. That is going to have to change. Um, but there will be other opportunities, and we've got to make sure that businesses are ready to take them. Yeah, I mean, and will there be support to get them ready to take them? That's that's my other uh, issue in that, you know, big businesses may be sitting on cash that they haven't been confident enough to spend. But small businesses ran out of cash ages ago. Uh, and those who still have cash are saying we have six months max. Yes. And I think that is one of the really big challenges. And I think next year's budget will be very critical to that. Um, as you've already pointed out, the government has done a lot. But you could argue that is in the past. We now have to look to the future. What can we do to make sure that we have a, an environment where businesses can invest, they can get access to finance, and they can invest it and not be overtaxed at the same time? I think so. It's getting that balance right. So I think the Chancellor in next year's budget really has to lay out what his plans are for the next two or three years, how he is going to support business, how he is going to ensure that we do have a full-on recovery. And it's through that recovery that we can mend the nation's finances. I think the danger that we have is um, if we start to try and raise taxes to fill the gap too early, I think that would be a wrong move. I think we've got to allow business to recover, lay the foundations for that, and then we'll see an economic revival. Well, I suppose if you want to borrow money, now's the time to do it at 0.1%. Um, but the, the point being with the Chancellor is that he's, he's got to come up with something. He's, he's talked about supporting businesses that are viable therefore not supporting businesses that presumably aren't viable and there are those out there and we have to remember that there are areas you, you talked about retail but there are areas where the problems were there long before COVID-19 emerged and those industries are, are going to suffer one of the things we've seen is the move to the cash society that's accelerated um, during lockdown and will continue to do so but the, the one thing I'm not sure, if, if we allow businesses to go to the wall that are not viable, we've then got to come up with jobs and training for those that need that. And, and to be honest, the government has hinted at it and talked about it, but they don't seem to have come up with any facts and figures. And, you know, are we going to keep sending kids to university for useless degrees? Well, first of all, I think COVID has accelerated changes in the economy. I think you make a very valid point there. I think that those changes were already underway. I think COVID has started to accelerate them. And I think you're going to have to see, um, and I say this as a Conservative, a slightly more interventionalist government. I think they're going to have to be proactive in how they support businesses with possibly incentives to uh, make business invest in different parts of the country. And also, I think you touch upon one other very important area, skills. 
Um, I never understood why we had this obsession with 50% of our society going to university. I think that was completely unnecessary. There's clearly a, a, a role for university and university education, but there's also technical, going to colleges, learning on the job, they are equally as vital. And interestingly enough, I think one consequence of coming out of the European Union and not being able just to import those skills, we're going to have to, as a nation, address the skills gap that we do have. And actually government is going to have to sit there and say, right, we can't just get, you know, 10,000 people from Poland or Hungary or Germany to come and fill our, our skills gap. We've got to have homegrown. We've got to educate them properly. And that is where business has a role to play because business has got to say to government, we don't need university graduates, but we do need good technicians or good engineers who have been to the local college or have got an apprentice. So I actually think we have a, a real opportunity for both business and government to effectively re-engineer our economy, but we've got to seize it. John, can I appeal to you? We've been here before and we've got this desperately wrong because we've gone with tra training companies that haven't really grasped the idea of quality training. And so we've ended up with people trained and going into these schemes for jobs, uh, but not getting the jobs at the end of the day. Can we get, we've got to get this right this time. Well, I think that is where business has a role to play. It's actually bringing the businesses into the discussion with government and with the training providers and saying, we don't want the government to be saying, oh, we've got 2 million apprenticeships or apprentices. I'd rather they said we have 1 million, but they are of good quality and they will actually bring a, a proper outcome. Because if we want to raise living standards, we've got to raise productivity. And to raise productivity, you have to have a skilled workforce. And that is going to be, I think, one of our central challenges for the next uh, 10 years, to be honest, because we've stagnated over the last 10 years since the financial crisis. We haven't seen that productivity accelerate that we would normally have seen. And we've got to start to look at how we achieve that. Do you think it's been a mistake that our economy has relied so heavily on cheap labour? I mean, it's gorged itself on cheap labour, particularly from, from Eastern European countries, to the detriment of... of productivity and economic growth? Um, I think you're too strong in that. I think what the fact that we've been able to attract European labour has made us maybe a little bit lazy in our approach to how we educate our own. But if you do bring in educated, skilled workforce, it does boost your economy. So our immigration policy is not going to close the door. Our immigration policy is going to say, we want people who can boost our economy and take them from different sectors, whether it be at the high end, highly skilled, or in certain cases, it'll be maybe at the lower end uh, for certain industries. So I think it's just getting the balance right. But I do think um, our educational um, and our skills um, element to our economy, we haven't always got right over the last um, 10, 20 years, or even longer for that matter. And also, I think with us departing the European Union, we've got to return to the manufacturing sector and see the opportunities that, um, that are there. I think COVID, again, going back to how it's accelerated change, but it's also highlighted some weaknesses in our economy. For example, our inability to produce PPE, I think has demonstrated that actually we need to think about what is our own manufacturing capacity and are there certain things we've got to make sure that we can actually do in our own country. And leaving the European Union, I think, potentially creates that opportunity. Well, manufacturing is a much smaller part of the economy now than it was when I started out in broadcasting, which would have been the early 90s. Mm. Um, when it, you know, I, I, what is it these days? 
10, 10%. 15%, 10%. 10%. percent. When I started out, it was 25%. Mm. So it's, it's continued to decline. We're a service nation. Yes, but pr uh, pr manufacturing can actually be one of the mostly highly pro one of the more highly productive areas of an economy. I mean, I look at my own constituency here in Carlisle. We have a Pirelli plant. We have a Nestle plant. We have McVitie's. We have two sisters. And between them, they employ nearly two and a half thousand people. So they are still a major employer. They export as well. You know, so they do actually bring a, a national uh, benefit as well as a local benefit. So I, I think we've got to refocus our economy and say, yes, manufacturing is important. We have opportunities with it, but also recognizing in, in services, we do have strengths. The obvious one being the financial sector, but also professional services is very advantageous to our economy. And then it's getting the balance right between the two. And probably I think we have had an overemphasis on services and maybe we need a bit of rebalancing. Um John, as you will have heard, one of the points that uh, people brought out uh, in the discussion was mental health. Um, and just before we wind up, mental health has been damaged, is being damaged across the board. You've got people in debt, as Declan said, uh, using their household bill money in order to keep their businesses afloat because that's their livelihood. Um, those people are really, really going to need help as we go through 2021? Um, I think that's probably the um, un unrecognised issue that has emerged from COVID, the impact it's had on people personally in their environment, their work environment, their home environment, and the impact that has on uh, mental health. I mean, there's been this tremendous move to home working. And yes, it has certain advantages and yes, it can help in certain ways. But I actually think going into the office, social interaction with people is so important. At the end of the day, we are a social animal, the human being. We like to mix. We like to socialize. We like to talk to people. And I actually think when we can get back to people going into offices, going back into social environments. It will be a far healthier for us. And I do think that has been, unfortunately, one of the unintended consequences of covid which has been detrimental to society. Um, John, let's hope that we can get you in a studio next year, <laughs> uh, coming up yeah, to Christmas and, to. Have this and have this conversation again and see where we've got to. But John Stevenson, MP, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, John. And all, and all our best wishes to you for Christmas and the new year too. Thank you, and to all your businesses that uh, you're involved with as well. Thank you. Um, Simon, Declan, where will we be by mid-January when we return? <laughs> well, I, I don't think the early part of next year is looking that good. We're already seeing the signs from uh, Northern Ireland and Wales, what's going on there. And I think that the government in London will lock down the English economy pretty quickly after Christmas uh, because the figures coming in from the hospitals at the moment are looking pretty poor. Uh, and I think that they've got no choice. But um, the vaccination is there, and that's our great hope. It just seems to me it's going to be slightly slower, slower to roll it out than the government had hoped for, just because of resource more than anything else. Um, there is some talk that they're going to train up people from the public to become vaccinators, like you and me, Liz. Uh, and that oh, might, heaven and help that, anybody who gets uh, us. Yeah. <laughs> Join the wild. She that might well help, who knows, but um, 
Yeah, let's hope that this time next Christmas we'll be in a much jollier mood. Ebenezer McVicar, thank you very much. <laughs> Bar humbug. Declan, yeah. Declan, given your gloomy Cameron, you got to improve on that. Yeah. I, I, I think it does get worse before it gets better, but it does get better. And don't forget that this pandemic hasn't been terrible for everyone. It has accelerated a lot of moves towards digital and the digital economy that were underway already. So if you're a small business in the uh, area of food delivery or of app development or of uh, you're, you're somewhere in, in the supply chain for pharmaceutical companies, then this year might have been uh, all right for you. And, and of course, there's always what the economists call uh, creative destruction. So even in that hardest hit of industries, the restaurant trade, there are people saying, well, actually, this has created opportunity for us. The owner of uh, Franco Manca, the uh, pizza partner, saying that it's created a lot of cheap sites for him to move into that he couldn't have afforded last year. But this year he can. Um, Declan, I'm not sure if we quite caught that, but um, is it the sherry already? Though he must have been, <laughs> must have been. But Declan, Simon, Mickey, uh, of course, John Stevenson, um, and the whole team behind the scenes, Ben, Harry, and George, uh, have a great Christmas and have Merry a wonderful Christmas. new year. Season's Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, we're off now till the 18th of January. Catch up all the conversations, interviews, podcasts on our website, backinbusiness.org.uk. And if you want to take part in our 2021 podcasts or comment in any way, then email us, contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk. See you in mid-January. In the meantime, have a safe holiday break, whatever you're doing. 